0: You know, one of the many, many reasons that, that I, man, I love this moment, the, the church and the gathering of the church is because of stories like that. Where you, you hear the Hunter story and you think that like, man, I, I struggle trying to figure out where God's moving in my situations and my circumstances. And we've talked before about what it looks like to like borrow faith. You know, like when your faith is weak to be able to borrow somebody else's. And one of the ways we do that is through stories like that. Do right? You hear stories of God moving in people's situations and circumstances that God is still performing miracles, right? That God is still answering prayers, that God is still doing more than we could ever think or imagine. And when I begin to think about my situation and my circumstance and, man, maybe I'm missing something and I don't know where God. And then I hear stories like that. The, then suddenly, my faith kind of gets a, a little extra boost, right? There's a there's a little extra strength kind of embedded there. And this this moment, right, when we gather together, when we when we engage and we join in as the local church, then, then man, we're reminded that like that we're a part of something beyond ourselves. Right? like we're a part of something more than just this moment we we, we join together in this moment as a part of a much larger movement like when we when we join together in this space and in this this moment then then we we are standing on a foundation that has been centuries in the making like i hope you understand that uh, about the church the local church the gathering of people in pursuit of god the, the the people who are who are pursuing god's purpose in their life that that this thing like th- this thing has man it has outlived it has outlasted every king or kingdom Like no democracy or dictatorship has ever been able to stop this thing, that the church, the gathering of God's people has not only survived, but it has thrived through every persecution, every pandemic, every catastrophe, every chaos, every war known to man. It's almost as if God tells us, is showing us that, hey, this thing that you and I are part of, this thing is unstoppable. But not even the gates of hell can stand against it. And so when you and I, when we join in together in this environment, in this space, in this moment, I mean, we understand that, that, that this is, is so much more than a moment, it's a movement. And we look back over the course of of this movement, we look back through history and we can see certain kind of foundational moments, certain pillars that, that have served to strengthen faith across time, across nation, across geography, across language. Today is one of those days Today is one of those days that you look back on over the course of the history of church. And, and, and it serves as kind of a foundational moment. It's what history would call, today is what history would call Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday serves as the beginning of what we call Holy Week. Holy Week being the week leading up to Easter Sunday. And this is, understand that, that this isn't just like a, a random kind of moment in time that we marked out and said, hey, it'd be pretty cool to talk about this a lot. Let's do that, right? Right. But you know, the, the gospel writers, they, they tell us more about this week. These days in the life of Jesus and the lives of the disciples, they tell us more about these few days than any other time period in their lives combined. The gospel of Matthew alone, over 25% of that gospel is dedicated to this week. It's an important one in our faith. It is foundational. It shows us some truths that man, we would do well to hold on to. And so we want to do that. We don't want to, as you and I, as we begin to eye Easter uh, this coming weekend, which, man, look, it's going to be an incredible celebration. I'm really excited about all that's going to be going on Easter weekend for Venture Church. It's going to be a great celebration, but I don't want us, we don't want us to miss this time leading up to it, Holy Week. And so our team's put together some incredible resources for you. Just by the way, if you have the, the app, the Venture Church app, there's a button on there, you'll see it starting today. If you were to look right now, you'll see a button that says Journey Through Holy Week. And, and, and on that page, every single day, there's some scripture, there's video, there's some, some questions, there's some resources for you to, to pause, okay? Let's take a deep breath. This week, just kind of pause, take a minute. Literally, it would take you three minutes and just engage in the story of Holy Week. The life of Jesus and disciples as they walk towards the cross and the tomb and Easter Sunday that we'll celebrate together. Because I don't want us to miss this week. And uh, so what I want to do before we do anything else is I want to pause for just a second here. okay? And, and I want us as a family to take part in, in really a family tradition that, that, is, that is going on around the world today. And I want us just to kind of look at the the story that that is today, that is Palm Sunday. All four gospel writers tell us about this moment, but we're going to look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 21 tells us about the, the Sunday before what we celebrate as Easter Sunday, the Sunday before the cross and the tomb. Here's what's going on in the life of Jesus and the disciples. It says, now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, then you say the Lord needs them and they will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they put on them their cloaks and he, Jesus, sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and the crowds that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, if that word Hosanna is, is unique to you, if you're unfamiliar with that, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't feel bad. It's not exactly a word any of us use normally, right? The, the word Hosanna, it, it means save us. It means rescue us. This is a a cry of rescue. This is a cry of help. This is a cry of salvation. These people, as they're following Jesus, as he marches into Jerusalem, surrounded by his disciples, the crowd goes before him. They go after him and they're all shouting, save us, help us, rescue us. Now they thought, history will tell us that they thought that that Jesus was going to bring about this salvation through a political revolt. That's what they hoped, that Jesus was gonna march into Jerusalem, that he was gonna overthrow the Roman government, that he was going to reestablish Israel's power by reestablishing Israel's government, authority and influence through political means, which is telling, maybe, is the word there for us. It's telling to us. You know, The Bible says that, Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun. You and I, I man, as people, we, we've always looked more for a political salvation than a spiritual salvation in hopes that a politician would save us rather than a savior, a holy and righteous one sent from God. That's not what I want you to see though. He, he, here's really what I want you to see in this moment. This picture, this entire picture, what, what my headline says, the, the triumphal entry. I love that, the, tri, the winning entrance this whole picture is a picture of victory. It's a picture of conquering. As Jesus mounts a donkey, as he rides into Jerusalem on the donkeys, the people spread their cloaks and palm branches on the road in front of him. This is what a Roman emperor or a Roman general would do. Watch this. After the war had been won, after the battle had been fought, after victory would achieved would have been achieved. To ride a donkey would have been a sign of peace. Your king enters humble. It was a picture of peace. It was a picture of, hey, we've won the battle. Victory has been achieved. Let's celebrate. Now we know Jesus is marching into Jerusalem, eyeing the cross, that Friday's coming, that he knows he will be betrayed, he will be arrested, he will be crucified, he'll be nailed to a cross, he'll be beaten, that he will breathe his final breath on the cross. And he's marching towards that moment in a victory parade. You see that? Why? Because he knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen. Yes, he knows the cross is coming. Yes, he knows he's going to face his death, but he also knows the tomb's not the end of the story. That the cross, the tomb, the stone in front of the tomb, that's not the end of the story because he knows three days later he's going to walk out of that tomb. He's going to bring about the salvation, the rescue that these people are crying out for, that they have no idea that they really need. He knows there's more to the story. And so today... Today for you and I is this built in reminder in our calendar, in our year. And we look back on the history of the church. We look back on the history of faith. Today's this reminder kind of built in for us that the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to live in victory, to live victoriously. Why? Because we know the outcome. We know the end of the story. We know because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, because of Easter weekend, we know that whatever our current circumstances are, they're not the end of the story. We know that death and the grave is not the end of the story for those that follow Jesus. We know that God is the author of our story, and he has already written the final chapter that includes eternal rescue and salvation. So we can live in victory so here's what I want to, in light of that, okay, in light of what today is, in light of the foundation that we stand on in this moment, I, I am, man, I'm convinced that one of the most dangerous, one of the most powerful things that keeps us from experiencing the victory and living the victory that Christ has invited us into, one of the most dangerous things is our own shame around our sin that Jesus has already put to death. We carry the shame and we carry the self-defeat and we carry the self-accusations and we carry the self-condemnation over our sins that Jesus has defeated on the cross and in the tomb. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna wanna kinda push against that a little bit. I wanna push against the shame that maybe you're carrying so that we can find and we can live and we can experience in the victory knowing the outcome that God has already set before us. We're gonna jump into uh, Romans chapter eight in in just a second here, but just so you kinda know where we're going. All right, here's the big idea for what we're gonna see in Romans chapter eight. And I understand right off the gate that this isn't gonna be for everybody and that's okay, but I really do believe God's given it to somebody. Here's the idea. The cross in the tomb, Easter weekend, what it shows us is that God forgives you and if God forgives you, you can forgive you too. You hear me on that? If God forgives you, so can you. Let me show you why I believe Let me show you why this is important for us. Romans chapter eight. Verse 31 is where we're gonna start. Paul is going to to ask a series of questions that kind of build on each other to this, this crescendo, this big moment that we'll get to in just a second. But Romans chapter eight, verse 31, Paul starts this way. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. This is the message of Easter right here. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he, how will God not also through his son graciously give us all things? Now, if you've heard that line before, if God is for us, then we typically go, I do. It's so easy for us mentally to get to this place of what that means if God is for us is that God is on my side, right? He's for me, yeah, go get him. You got this, attaboy, right? We are gotta get that picture of God. But, but there's so much more happening here than that. that. That word for, if God is for us, that word for doesn't mean beside, it doesn't mean behind, it literally means above, it means over. It, it's a picture of something being overlaid, being laid on top of another thing to be used in place of, that's what it means, in place of. Let me give you an example, so you, you kinda, you're kind of you tracking when you know what I'm talking about. Husbands, maybe, maybe you're with me on this one. I pump gas for my wife. I do it a lot. It's not because I'm a great person. I'm not. <laughs> it's because I know when I get in her car, guaranteed two miles down the road, gas light's coming on, right? Like it just, it happens. It's not that I'm that great of a person. I just don't wanna be stuck on the side of the interstate, so I put gas in her car for her, right? Wives, you find everything for your husband, right? Like I get it. He should be able to find his own underwear. I understand that, but (laughs) she literally said yes. (laughs) But you do that for him or you do that in place of him. That's what Paul is saying here. You see that? God is for me. God is in my place. God stands in the gap for me. This is so much more than God is on my side. This is so much more than God wants my stuff to work out. As a matter of fact, if I'm honest with you, I think for most of us, God doesn't want our stuff to work out because our stuff really isn't tracking with his stuff. But Paul is saying, it's not that God just is is behind you, giving you an attaboy along the way. No, it's that God stands in the gap for you. That's the whole picture of the cross, right? That's what Easter is all about that God stood in the gap, that God stood in my place for me, that God took what I deserved so that he could give me what I could never earn. That he took the pain, that he took the punishment, that he took the death that I deserved because of my sin, because of my disobedience to a holy and righteous God. He stood in my place. Rather, he hung on the cross in my place so that he could give me what I could never earn. That's grace. He graciously gives us all things. That's how Paul phrased that there. Let me say this about grace, too, and then we're going to move on to the next question. I want you to get this picture of, of God's grace in your mind. Grace, when we talk about grace, undeserved favor, that's what it means. Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. That's not my line. I didn't come up with it, but I thought it was really powerful. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. And what that means is, hear me clearly, you and I, we cannot earn God's grace. We can't do it. No matter how many good things you do, no matter how much money you give, no no matter how good of a boy you are, no matter how much you respect mama and them, we cannot earn God's grace. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. He freely gives us. His grace, And because of that, there should be effort that extends from it. Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, the way he says it to that church is he says that in obedience we are working out our salvation. It's not that I work it to be a thing, but because it's a thing, because God's grace is a thing in my life, therefore I work it out. There's effort, there's evidence extended from it that looks like me and you pursuing the things of God in our lives on a daily basis. It looks like me treating my family, my friends, my neighbors. It looks like you running your business. It looks like you making decisions as if God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's salvation is real and evident in your life and real and evident in the other person's life. There's effort there. So okay, so, so we get the picture of God's grace. Right? It is it is a free gift as God stands in the gap for us. Now here's the next question Paul asks, verse 33. He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, God's people? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Who is to consider, to count guilty? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, not only did he die, but more than that, who was raised, who is alive now. And because of that, he is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You are broken. Man, you're so messed up. Man, you, you are so, you're worthless. If they really knew what you think about, if they really knew what you struggle with, if they really knew what you do behind closed doors, they would never look at you the same. They're not going to be able to forgive you for that. Hey, as a matter of fact, she probably left because of you. You know what? He's probably hateful because of you. Now you hear those words from me. And it's jarring. And it's it's borderline offensive, right? Probably want to throw something at me. And while I would never say those words to you in truth and honesty, because of how painful, how hurtful they are, How often do we not say those same words to ourselves? That self condemnation, where we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, You are so messed up. You are so broken. Who can bring any charge against God's people? More than that, who can condemn? Who can count guilty? There's a lot of charges, there's a lot of accusations, there's a lot of lies. And hear me say, those are lies that we deal with that float around in our head constantly. They come from people we love, right? Like, like seeds that have been sown into the, the soil of our soul from parents, from teachers, from coaches, from the time we were children. Oh, you're not good enough, oh, that's really all you, you'll never amount to anything. They come from our spouse, our children, our friends, words spoken in anger. Listen to me, you need to guard your words at home, especially when you're angry and frustrated. James compares our words to a spark. He says, just like a spark, a small spark can set an entire forest on fire. Your words have the power to destroy worlds because those lies and those accusations become seeds planted in in soils and souls of lives. Lies, accusations, charges, they come from the enemy, right? He, he's called the accuser, the liar, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the easiest thing the enemy can destroy is your own self-confidence, to put self-doubt in you, to destroy your picture of how God sees you. The most dangerous place, those charges, those accusations, those lies come from ourselves. I mean, how many times have we said it, right? Nobody speaks to you more than you speak to you. And we look at ourselves and we, we, we tell ourselves over and over and over again, you are broken, you're messed up, you're worthless. Lies, charges, to which Paul says, it is God alone who justifies. The idea of justification there is is like reconciliation. It's righteousness. It is to be considered in right standing. What Paul is saying here is that it is only God who determines, who stands in righteousness with him. What he's saying is you can't earn God's grace and that's great news because you can't lose it either. It's not built on your good deeds. It's not built on your good actions. It's not built on your good decisions. None of it matters. It's built on God's goodness alone. Romans chapter eight, verse one is where Paul starts his whole conversation. He He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Who is to condemn? No one, because on the cross, Christ put to death your condemnation. Now, there's conviction when we talk about our sin, when we talk about our disobedience, when we talk about our actions, there's conviction. And that's the Holy Spirit drawing out of us the things that lead us to a place of death. But there's not condemnation because on the cross, Jesus put to death your condemnation. There's consequences in our sin and our disobedience. Hey, We're going we're gonna to have to deal with the consequences of those choices. You commit adultery, there's consequences there. You speak out, you act out in anger. There's consequences there. But there's not condemnation because Christ put your condemnation to death on the cross. You see that? Who is to bring any charge? Who is to bring any condemnation? Well, it can come from a lot of places, but the reality is Jesus already dealt with it. And so why do you continue to carry it? Now, Paul, like I told you, is kind of building to this, this kind of crescendo, right? This kind of big celebration. And he, he, here's where he goes with this, verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. Doesn't sound great. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Not fun. Verse 37, here's the big moment. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you see the present tense language of that verse? We are, you are more than conquerors. This isn't a one day hope. This isn't a, hey, one day you'll get there. Don't worry, it'll be okay. This is a present reality. You are more than Than a conqueror. You are more than victorious. Why? Because Christ loved you. I'm convinced, by the way, I'm convinced that the more than right there, because how do you become more than? What does it look like to conquer more, to be more victorious? The more than there is God's love for you. Not only are you victorious, not only are you a conqueror, but your love. Like, God doesn't give you that victory. God didn't win the war over your sins, condemnation, because he was obligated to, because it made for a good story, because it's the right thing to do. He did it because he loves you. God, you don't know, man. Like, man, I'm struggling with this thing. If I'm supposed to be victorious, does that mean I'm not gonna struggle tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely gonna struggle tomorrow. Yeah, the victory that's been won is over sin's condemnation. But man, we're still in the battle of those choices. And here's the good news, okay? If you, you, maybe you've never been able to think about it this way. Let me just remind you that on the cross, when Jesus took the nails, when he took the beating, when he took the punishment, when he took the mocking, when he took the ridicule, that on the cross, all of your sins, all of my sins were future sins. All of them were tomorrow choices and he still did it. But what if I mess up tomorrow? Well, guess what? Yesterday's mess up was tomorrow on the cross and he still did it. He still took it for you because he loves you. So why do you continue to carry the shame and the condemnation? Because he's already said, I won the victory because of my love for you. Now, here's what I want to do, okay? And this might be a little bit different, okay? Um, You know, if you're looking for the, all right, here's the three, you know, three-point big ideas to take home. I don't have that for you. Here's, Here's how I want to wrap this up, okay? In just a second we're going to step into across all of our campuses we're going to step into a moment of worship and response it'll be your time to to engage in the presence of God move around respond however he leads you maybe you need to spend some time at the cross there's some crosses at all of our campuses maybe you know in this moment you've been carrying some sin some shame for far too long he's already Jesus already nailed it to the cross and you just need to leave it there with him Maybe you need to spend some time just on your knees in prayer. We have prayer team members that are available to put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. Be your chance to respond. It'll be a little bit more time than usual to respond. But before we get there, here's what I wanna do. I just, I wanna take a second. I wanna, I don't wanna speak a blessing over you. Can I do that? So I wanna invite you, just bow your head, close your eyes for just a second. Do whatever you gotta do to take a deep breath and focus on these words in your life. This isn't for the person beside you. This isn't for the person on your mind, this is for you. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. God is for you. He's not just by your side. He's not just rooting you on. God is standing in the gap on your behalf because he loves you. God is restoring you. He is rebuilding the things that have been broken in your story. Jesus in this moment is interceding for you. He is speaking good over you. Jesus has won the victory over your sin, over your shame, over your condemnation. And he invites you to live in that victory. Lord, we come before you now, God, I thank you. Honestly, I don't know what else to do other than thank you for your goodness, for your victory for your grace. God, that you defeated sin, that you put to death condemnation. But I pray that in this moment, that you'll tear down walls. God, that you'll open hearts, you'll open minds to your truth, to your salvation, to your rescue. God, that we will be able to lay down the things, whatever it is that's keeping us from you, that we'll be able to lay that down to pursue you to give our life to you, to follow in your way. We pray in this moment for salvation, for rescue, Hosanna in the highest. That you'll be glorified, that you'll be honored. All things we ask in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.